Listen, buddy, if you're looking for the Diet Frozen Yogurt Bar, it went out of business last summer. Actually, I'm looking for a Batman number 14. That's a very serious book, man. Only five in existence. Four, actually. I'm always looking out for the other three. Hello and welcome to another episode of FW Presents, the anthology show for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Rob Kelly. And joining me today are fellow network all-stars, Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin. Hi, guys. What's up? Hey, Rob. How's it going? It's going great. And we have a very special guest with us, our pal and nuclear sub, Paul Kian. Hi, Paul. Hey, Rob. And guys, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah, this is very exciting, Paul. Uh, you've done, what, I think this is your third podcast so far? It, it is. It's in my uh, my first, and I feel considerably honored to be on with such a uh, illustrious panel here, Rob, so I appreciate it. <laughs> I decided we, did, we oh. need to expand your canvas a little bit, not just record with me. we got to work in some of the other guys. <laughs> I'll, I'll have Paul on midnight the podcasting hour one of these days. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that sounds great. What we're here to talk about is what we're calling our Holy Grail. And uh, Chris, why don't you explain what exactly we what we mean when we say Holy Grail? Well, it's this chalice, and it might be no, no, seriously. Uh, it, it, it's uh, uh, a holy grail is just an item that you have you either have wanted for a long time that that you feel like you you may never attain. It's 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 either something that's either hard to find, or maybe it's out of your price range, or uh, you know, it could be you know, in, in the case of us geeky people, it could be a comic, it could be a toy, a piece of merchandise, a piece of original art. It it could be any number of things, but it's just it's that it's kind of that one that one thing. I sound like uh, Jack Palance and uh, City Slickers. It's the one thing that you're <laughs> kind of uh, you know after that you might not ever get, but you just uh, you've got that crusade going on for it. Absolutely. This is, is this is an item or items because we I think we each have uh, more than one of the kind of thing that we would buy if we had like Bruce Wayne money. You know, had unlimited money, Tony Stark money. It just there was no worries about cost or anything or storing it or keeping it. What object would it be? And Paul was the accidental inspiration for this whole episode. We'll get into that in a moment. But first, this episode of FW Presents is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. In Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected items, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders $50 or more. First up, Ryan, why don't you go? Yeah, actually, um, so my, uh, my In Stock Trades pick for this one has nothing to do with what we're going to be talking about, um, but I did think it was slightly timely uh, for anybody who's listening who might be a fan of the Disney Plus series Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is going on right now. Um, I picked out a book by the same creative team uh, that introduced the Winter Soldier in the Captain America comics, and this is the Image series of Velvet, uh, written by Ed Brubaker, and the artist is Steve Epting. And the, the item in question is the Velvet Deluxe Edition hardcover, which uh, is a beautiful – I love the way Image does their hardcovers, but a gorgeous little product. Uh, the original or the actual on-sale price – sorry, eh, uh, the, the standard price is $49.99, so 50 bucks. But on in-stock trades, you can get it for $28.99. That's a 42% discount. It is 416 pages. It collects Ooh. the entire 15 issue series of velvet and what is this series 
again, I mean, it's brought to you by the guys who did the Winter Soldier, so it's kind of in that mode. Um, it is an espionage series, a, a spy series set in the 70s. Think about, like, the the old-school John le Carre smiley novels or the, like, the first four James Bond movies. It's that type of thing. But the premise is, what if you discovered that the... Uh, greatest most deadly spy at uh in british intelligence was actually ms money penny and and nobody figured it out but she's the one who has access to everything and and she's been retired but she has to come out of retirement uh because she's set up for something and uh it's just it's a really cool high action pace uh, action-packed story um exotic locations lots of mysteries lots of redirections you're not sure who to trust um it's, it's very much in those styles of like early James Bond and Lakari. Uh, and it's, it's by Brubaker and Epting. It, it, it has the same flavor as Winter Soldier. So a very, very cool book. I read it over Christmas. Um, and I recommend it every chance I get. So yeah, Velvet Deluxe Hardcover Edition. You can get it for less than $30 and that's a steal at that price. Yeah, I agree, Ryan. That's an awesome book. Uh, I read it in the issues when it came out and I was like, and it was one of those ones that kept getting delayed. And I'd be like, uh, where's the next issue coming out? <laughs> yep. Great choice. Uh, I brought with me uh, from Inside Trades, the famous first edition, new fund number one hardcover. Now I covered this over on my treasury cash show. This is the hardcover reprint edition of new fund. Number one, the very first DC comic, which was printed at a treasury size. Uh, it is 48 pages, and uh, the normal price is only $19.99. In-stock trade price is $11.59. That's 42% off. This is a perfect recreation of the very first DC comic. And, boy, DC really tripped it out. They did, it's a beautiful hardcover. It reprints every single piece of that original comic, which is almost impossible to find. This is this book, New Fun Number 1, would be on my short list of Holy Grails. Because it's not only the first DC comic, it's the first Treasury comic. It's a Treasury-sized comic. It's impossible to find. But, man, if I had Bruce Wayne money, I would hunt down a copy of it. Luckily, for their DC's anniversary, they reprinted it in a famous first edition. And, boy, it is a handsome book. It features some articles about the history of DC. It's just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful edition. For anyone interested in the history of comics or DC comics, you want to pick up famous first edition, new fun, number one hardcover. So you can get that and uh, Velvet over at InStockTrades.com. For, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, visit InStockTrades.com, and we thank them for their support. And we also have to thank our Patreon supporters. Of course, if you want to support the Frown Water Podcast Network, you can go to Patreon.com slash FWPodcast, and there you're going to log various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Gord Tolton and David S. Gutierrez for their support of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. We really appreciate it. All right, guys. So let's talk about Holy Grails and how Paul ended up really being the inspiration for this episode. So, Paul, tell your story of how you ended up with one of your Holy Grails. Thanks, Rob. You know, it, it, it's funny. I feel a little pressure telling my secret origin of this book with Ryan on the line. But <laughs> but I had, to, I had to get that in. But anyway, um, so the, the book is, that we're talking about is World's Best Comics Number 1. Um, and it's a um, – it's for those of you who don't know, uh, it's actually World's Finest Comics number one, which uh, when I was growing up, co-starred Superman and Batman. But the very first issue was called World's Best, and it didn't become World's Finest till number two. So you know that that's the book we're talking about. And and um, a couple of months ago, I was able to obtain it. My um, 
favorite DC heroes growing up. I'm I'm pretty boring that way, or Batman and Superman always have been, <laughs> um, and I never outgrew my Batman phase. I'm still still in it. Um, and my favorite books, you know, besides Justice League, which I know you love, Rob, were were Brave and the Bold and World's Finest, and all of them. The common denominator, right, is you you, you get all that bang for your buck. You know, a lot of different heroes, and I especially like you know the hundred pagers and. Both Brave and Bold, but also particularly in World's Finest, you get guest stars like Metamorpho. You get you know, the Super Sons, for gosh sakes, a lot of you know zany, haney type stuff. So it was always a, a great, um, a great thing. And I always thought it was cool that it started out at one, you know, one title, and then all of a sudden changed to another. And uh, and if you know the cover, it's Superman and Batman and Robin sort of jumping down uh, towards the reader, um, and you know it's a pretty iconic cover. So that's why it's a, it's a holy grail for me. It's like really um, just just one of my favorite things. Um, in terms of the how, like I, you know, um, unlike some of the other folks on the network, I never really stopped um, collecting, uh, and so I've been at this, you know, closing in on fifty years, and and I and I got tons of tons of books and. Over the years, as my kids uh, got older, I started getting rid of some. And, and when they were, um, you know, growing up, we did a lot of um, local shows and I would sell some, but I never made any money. But it was mainly fun to do it with the kids, got rid of some stuff, um, uh, you know, uh, or give the kids a cut. So they, they had fun. They got a little money. And so, you know, I was thinking about, you know, I still have a lot of stuff and, uh, you know, I, I want to keep, you know, half of it, but I want to get rid of the other half, right? And and um, I'd never sold online. Uh, but when COVID hit, I was like, you know, now's the time. And um, I started selling online and I would take books and I'd, I scanned like a hundred of them on the weekend. And during the week, I post them up on, on this website. Um, and um, it just been accumulating. And what, what I decided was I'm going to get something special so I uh, eventually accumulated enough, and I saw this a couple of months ago. I had my eye on it. I'm like, mm. <laughs> and then I said, I pulled the trigger, and I, and I got the book. And so uh, the best part about the whole thing is I got this uh, holy grail and uh, didn't spend a penny out of my own pocket. I mean, today, right? Of course, I bought the comics originally. <laughs> but uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. That is amazing. Now, the, the the online dealer that you bought this book from, like how complete was their – like how much of the book could you see – you felt obviously you felt comfortable buying it online, but I mean it was yeah. probably a pretty hefty purchase. Like, did they have like every page scanned? Did they have close-ups of the covers? Like, how did how did you now, know that what you were getting was like really what you were getting? Yeah, well, like this one in particular is um, is already encased by CGC, so I, I you know knew the condition and I knew it was complete because they mark it if it's not complete. Gotcha. And so you know I've got it. I got a little like case downstairs with some of my valuable stuff, and I I put it right there right there on the case. And, um, so it was already, um, graded, which, which, um, you know, which, which helps a lot for sure with the authenticity. Uh, and plus it was a pretty reputable dealer online. It wasn't just Joe Schmo on eBay. This is, this was something that, like I said, I'd saved up enough and, to, to do it. And, um, this one is just super, you know, it had a combination of desirability and availability. Right. And, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's great because like, you know, they're all three there. They're, they're jumping at you. It's just a fabulous cover and it's great to display. So it's a, it's a, it's a great piece. I'm really, really happy to have it. And of course that night, for those of you out there that don't like graded books, you know, I, I made it a point when it came in that night, um, read the whole issue on the DC universe app. Um, <laughs> cause I, uh, I do like to, I do like to uh, do that if I acquire something that's already graded. Wow. I'm, I'm both a reader and a collector. 
that's just a that's a, now you said you have it downstairs. Do you is it displayed somewhere or is it just sort of tucked away? Like what? What do you do? You yeah. go, is it on like a little table with yeah, a light yeah, that rotates? It, I mean, how do you how do you store it? Give us some details, like the layout of your place and like right, when, exactly. when it might be gone. Like, so we have the codes and all that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, we have a we have a finished basement, and um, one of the things we actually built this house uh, a few years ago. Moved in the same town. Uh, but as a kid, we were about six years ago, we moved in. And one of the things I made sure was I built in the basement a little comic book room. So, um, wow. yeah, so I have, and I had some shelves built in that fit, you know, short boxes because I'm getting too old for the long boxes. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, um, and then for the valuable, really valuable ones, I have a, um, a little glass case that locks. And um, that's where it is, it's in the glass case. And uh, oh my God. so it's, it's, uh, and so I go down there. My wife says, I go down there all, you know, every weekend. I'm down, I'm puttering around. She says, I just like to touch them. I, I, re- <laughs> I like to rebag them. I like to touch them. I read them. I look at them. And, uh, you know, there's always this debate, right? Of, of loving the, the content and, and, and collecting for being, you know, being like an antique collector versus a, an investor. You know, I kind of, I kind of like, I just like every comic book. I like them all. I like, I like all those uses of it. You know, I, I sit and I read them. It's like my really only hobby. So it's my, uh, it's the thing I like to do the best, all of those things. And now I can add selling to it. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> you I'm want trying to, get- to imagine how much more valuable the book would be if the movie Batman v Superman was good and people liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, what are you doing? Come on, we're trying to. I have a reputation to maintain. Even 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 though uh, even I know not to bring that up on this uh, network. I've <laughs> been informed. I gave him some of the lowdown before he appears the on accords. the accords. Yeah, yeah, the accords exactly. Now, Paul, do you do? Is it that it's number one? Like, do you want to get world's finest number two, or is it just um, like in your mind that like this this part of your collection is complete? So I'm debating that in my head um, because uh, I am kind of a completist. Like. You know, there's a lot of different titles that I have every one, like Justice League. Um, but um, I uh, I really, you know, I haven't decided because that would be a major investment to get every one of those. Uh, you I can know, sell so. you World's Finest number 26. I have that one. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've got like 240 through 280. <laughs> <laughs> those, 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 those I probably bought off the shelf, right? <laughs> Ryan and, and Chris, I should let you know that I don't live that far from Paul. So if you guys want to come over, we can perform some sort of heist like thing going on. <laughs> uh, I we are lower me down like a Mission Impossible style thing in the glass case. I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to work it all out. Rob's going to be Catherine Zeta Jones from Entrapment and go through the laser beams. You know, <laughs> do like somersaults and <laughs> that is surely the only time that comparison will ever be made. <laughs> We'll get busted, and I'll have to introduce myself to your wife as Harvey Manfrenshenson from <laughs> a fish called Wanda. Chris, you got a chance for you to break out your Sean Connery, dude. Come on. Yes. <laughs> Slide under those lasers. World's we'll finest number one. So, okay. All right. So, all right, Paul, so th- that's your, that is one of your holy grails. But you have other holy grails, right? So you have other ones that you're you're still kind of uh, aching to get. Now, what, what are those? Yeah, well, you know, when, when – you um, suggested this um, to me, you know, a while ago. You know, I gave it some thought, like I think everybody has. And, and um, 
you know, on the one hand, of course, it'd be cool, right, to have a Detective 27 or an action number one. But that's that's not real. That's, you know, first of all, it's not feasible for mere mortals. And second of all, it, you know, it's not really it's not it's not what this is about. And it's not what this network's about. This, so what so what I was thinking was, you know, I wanted to focus on something that's really special to me. Right. And but also uh, has a degree of rarity to it. Right. And so um, I have two uh, that I that I thought of one. That I think you will appreciate, Rob, is an original art cover from the Braves of the Bold done by none other than Jim Aparo. Okay. Would be, you know, I don't own any original art. Um, I always have said I need another hobby like a hole in the head, especially one <laughs> as expensive as that. And, um, but a, a few years ago, I said, you know, if I ever got a piece of original art, I, I would want to get it something by Aparo. And I don't know, it was probably four or five years ago. Uh, I saw that a cover was coming up on auction online, and it was a cover for Brave and the Bold number 124. Now, do you guys oh. know what one that is? Sergeant <laughs> Rock. Sergeant Rock, where Apparel is sitting at his on the cover himself, drawing another cover of uh, Sergeant Rock about to shoot Batman, and he's and the guy is about to shoot Apparel, saying, "You got to sh- draw, you know, Rock killing Batman, or I'll kill you." And I'm as a kid, I'm like. What is going on in this story? And to this day, I, I go back and read it every once in a while, and I just – it's one of my favorite comics. blew my mind. And that cover was going on sale. So I'm like, oh, maybe I can, oh. you know, maybe I can, you know, get, you know, a couple of a couple of thousand dollars and really do it. Yeah, it would be an investment, one thing. And uh, so I'm, like, watching online and, like, 30 seconds in the auction, it was, you know, it ended up going for $28,000. Oh, my God. <laughs> Holy jeez. So, so needless to say, I did not get it. So nowadays, you know, maybe, you know, I think it's unlikely I'll get a cover, especially if it's a Brave and the Bold cover. Like, maybe you could get one of his Green Arrow covers or something. <laughs> but, but um, you know, uh, Brave and the Bold or a Batman, you know, cover, I think is uh, – the but maybe maybe a page someday. So you know that so that's kind of my my uh, my number one. And the only uh, and and Crystal like this one. The only alternate artist uh, I would pick would be a page from To Kill a Legend, um, which which would be kind of a cool thing to have. Mm. Oh my god! Yeah, that would <laughs> yeah. be and, and then my final, the only, my second Holy Grail, which is maybe more achievable, especially if DC decides to publish a coffee table book. Um, is the ever famous and ever elusive style guide by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez? Praise be his, be his name. name. <laughs> uh, that you know, you know, you like, like earlier today, I looked on eBay. There's, there's nothing there, right? It, you just don't see it come up. And uh, there was somebody who was selling the binder that was torn, <laughs> right? <laughs> but no stuff inside. <laughs> And so I'd love to have one of those one day, but because I just think that it would be that's really beautiful, and you know I would be happy with a you know a reprint like a coffee table book for that. But we that would see. be really cool. That would be really amazing. So those are my holy grails uh, for right now under that sort of con- you know considerations. That's that's funny. I uh, when we get to to Molly's, I have a similar story about that. I went after one of my holy grails, and it was way beyond my price range. And then I realized I was never really in it. To begin with, I was so far off of where it was, but I'll tell that story in a minute. <laughs> Basically, what we're going to do, everybody, the rest of the stories, the rest of the episode is that Chris is going to go through his Holy, holy Grails, and then Ryan, and then I, and then we are going to be reading the suggestions we got 
uh, from Patreon. We put this question out to our fine supporters over on patreon.com slash FW podcast. And a bunch of people wrote in with uh, their holy grails. So we're going to go through those. So, Chris, why don't you give us uh, your holy grails? Okay. Well, you know, when it came, uh, I tried to come up with a comic and I'm like, I, I, I am, I have become more of a reader than a collector in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, I, I, you know, most of the comics I want to read, I've got access to either uh, reprints or the now the DC Universe Infinite app or whatever it's called this week. Um, so, you know, I, I can read it, but I'm just thinking, okay, you know, Detective 27, like Paul said, Detective 27, action number one, probably out of the price range, Superman, Superman Batman number one, uh, probably out of the price range, but a possibility would probably be, you know, one of my favorite Batman stories. One of the best covers is uh, Batman number 47 from June, July, 1948. The origin of the Batman. This oh, is, what yeah, a good one. Yeah, that's a good one, right? Yeah, you know, Bill, written by Bill Finger with art by, I actually think it does have some art by Bob Kane, uh, Air <laughs> Schwartz and Charles Paris. Uh, that's the one where Batman's origin is retold and where Batman actually catches up to Joe Chill. Uh, we find out that Joe Chill was the man that murdered the Waynes. And actually at the story's end, uh, Batman confronts him, reveals that he is Bruce Wayne. And then Chill runs out uh, to the uh, the criminal shipping crew that he was uh, uh, using to ship criminals across state lines and says, you know, the Batman just told me that I, you know, I created him and the guys, you know, lose their crap. And rather than ask him who Batman is, they just kill him. Uh, it's, it's like, I think it's Bill Finger's like best, most poetic Batman story. Uh, I just simply love it. I love the cover with young Bruce Wayne, uh, you know, reading the newspaper crying of his parents' murder and Batman's, you know, looming over him, the, the shape of Batman. And there's the Batmobile and the bat plane and the bat signal. It's just, uh, when comics didn't get very personal, it's a very personal issue of a golden age comic. Uh, and I love how they handled the retelling of it now until Legend of the Batman, which is where I first read the story, uh, you know, but uh, if I, if you know, if I could own like a Golden Age Batman comic that wasn't like a super key, oh my God, I'm going to go broke and it, it costs more than my house issue, uh, then it would be this one. Uh, it would definitely be this one because I just, I simply love it. And I think it's like a perfect, it's a perfect story. Have you yeah. ever seen it in person? I have never seen it. I don't think I've ever seen it in person unless it was one of those that was like, you know, up on a, a giant wall of golden age comics at a comic convention or something, mm-hmm. which oddly enough, the, you know, I was, uh, the last time, I think one of the last times I was at a comic convention, um, a few years back, I looked up and, uh, the Batman adventures number 12 was up there with like key golden and silver age issues. And I'm like, I've got that book. Why is that up there? Oh, <laughs> first Harley Quinn. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I'll keep, a, I'll keep a hold of that one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't, um, I don't, I've never actually held one in my hands. Um, I've never seen one at a, like a dealer or, or anything like that. Um, you know, I, I looked on eBay, the prices are, I mean, it's not like unattainable, uh, but it's, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty pricey. So, you know, maybe one day, uh, <laughs> That's a great one, Chris. That's a fabulous book. Yeah, I I know that's one we should do on Nightcast, Ryan. <laughs> hey, whatever. <Yeah. laughs> 
yeah, definitely. It's dipping back a little bit, but you know, it's 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 a yeah. Uh, who's this Bill Finger guy? Uh, right? Uh, he, uh, he's no Max Allen Collins, right? Uh, no, but, who is? Uh, who is? Who is right? You know, if for other grails, I would probably you know go gravitate more toward the merchandise side of things. And there's things that that are probably like. They're within my price range if I would just like, okay, I'm going to buy this and just not buy anything for another year or two. Uh, one of them is the Wayne Foundation by Mego. Mm-hmm. I've never had it. I would love to have it. The Joker, uh, the Joker Mobile van from Mego. Uh, did, I think you had that, Rob. Didn't you have I that? I did. I have. There's a picture of me at, on Christmas getting it, unwrapping it under the tree. Yeah. Yeah. I've got the, the mobile bat lab, but not that. Um, you know, out of my price range, I'll probably never own is the uh, Justice League of America playset by Ideal. That insane, you know, with the secret sanctuary and all the oh, it's so beautiful. It's it's just a it's just a thing of beauty, and very few exist. Um, but I got to thinking about like you know something I would love to have that I actually owned once upon a time, and I did a wonderful toys episode on this. Are the this is a horrible name for the company, but Process Plastic Corporation. <laughs> Activated Marvel superheroes. These were the little army men type Marvel characters that you could order from a Heroes World ad in 1982 in between Mego and Secret Wars. And you just cannot find these things anywhere. I mean, they just have dropped off the face of the earth. Um, the only, I say that, but then today I look on eBay and one of the very rare combat team sets of these things where they put two three or four figures in a box with a strange like a spider-man deco jeep with spider-man stickers all over it and a captain america pickup truck with captain america (laughs) stickers all over it it, you know in in the hulks driving a truck on the box and all sorts of weird stuff like that (laughs) as as he did in the comics as he did in the comics, exactly. Yeah, um, you know, it's they're on there, and I don't know if this guy's going to get this price for it, but uh, he went six thousand dollars for the Spider-Man set and five thousand for the Captain America set. Oh, uh, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, probably not going to get those. And the the weird thing about those is is that the the molds ended up in the hands of another company called Tim Me, and Tim Me makes like little plastic army men type figures of different different fantasy figures and soldiers and things and they altered those characters so they don't quite look like marvel characters but like the guy that's based on the thor molds got an axe instead of mjolnir and <laughs> you can find those on ebay all day long and they call them marvel figures but they're really not it's just they realize what they're based off of but the real figures other than these expensive combat team sets apparently have just dropped off the face of the earth. So I would love one day to, to, to find a set of these and, and get these guys back. I have no idea what happened to my set. Yeah. I, I don't know where they went, how they ended up gone. Uh, but uh, they were a lot of fun and uh, I just love to have them back someday. Chris, I'm not terribly familiar with them. How many were there? How many different characters were there just these four or were they like, Dozens of them, all different Marvel characters. They made they made twelve figures that I know of. They made Spidey, mm-hmm. Captain America, Falcon, Hulk, Thor, Namor, Human Torch, Iron Man, Doctor Doom, Green Goblin, Doctor Octopus, and the Red Skull. Oh. And they were like all one Red color, Skull. right? 
<laughs> yeah, they're all one color. They're yeah. like they they kind of look like the uh, the Marx figures that that uh, were made in the '60s and again in the '70s of the Marvel characters, but they're shorter. But they're not quite as short as a regular army man. They're probably about. They're, they're almost to scale with like a, a three and three quarter inch figure, but most of them are kind of hunched over. Uh, so they're around in that like three and a half to three and three quarter inch size. And they're all in one color plastic. And they had this weird little gimmick that uh, the activator was this little scissor thing that you popped into their legs and you could kind of make them rock back and forth. And they had holes in their hands. You could slide them down string. And I'm not even going to talk about the activator, Chris. Come on now. <laughs> So yeah, they're uh, they're they were a lot of fun, and they were just they would look so good like just set up on a on a shelf, you know. I just love to have them back, but I don't know if I'll ever find them. So Chris, how are they? How are they packaged? Were they like cool. oh, in like a little bag or like on a card? Like, did, did, are the cards cool or like what? Yeah, you can. Uh, our of course, our buddy Brian Heiler has some pictures of, uh, of them on Plaid Stallion. So you can go to com or you can go find the old. Uh, you know, uh, wonderful toys. I, I cribbed some of those images from Byron with his permission, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, the, the figures that I got through Heroes World come on a big giant card. I mean, this thing was almost like treasury sized. Um, and you know, like a, a, a card with a bubble, plastic bubble with all the figures inside. Um, and I actually, there were two different sets you could order through Heroes World and I got, two of the same set and my mom either had to call somebody or write somebody and to get them to send another set out. So I even had an extra set of the Spider-Man, uh, the, the, the set that came with Spider-Man and I somehow managed to lose <laughs> like a set Aww. and a half, two sets and a half along the way. Yeah. So I don't know how that happened. So. Wow. That's really cool, man. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, that's, an, I, I, I don't remember those at all. I would have been of the age too. Yeah, because I was I'm a little older than you, so that would have been perfect for me. But I don't remember these seeing these at all. So that's really cool. So all right. So Ryan, uh, pretend you have uh, Oliver Queen money before the bankruptcy, and what what would you be buying? Yeah, actually, Chris, I, I just thought of something, and it's uh, it's something that we, you and I, and Shag have talked about from time to time on our Fire and Water chat. Um, in in the early 2000s, Mattel launched the DC Universe Classics line. Um, and, and we keep on mentioning that for whatever reason, the Dr. Fate figure was super hard to find mm-hmm. and is now like, just like overpriced. And I mean, like you, you can find him. He's on eBay, but I just, I don't want to pay three, you know, you know, over a hundred dollars for a Dr. Fate figure. I mean, I don't even think anybody really likes Dr. Fate that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, yeah. I was lucky enough to find one, but I've, I'm, I've never found another one. I mean, that's because no. I've been looking for they Andrew. Made, they made a variant too. There's one with blue and yellow and one with blue and gold and they're both hard to find. But yeah, yeah. Shag and I were always talking about those like, because he's the only earth two or justice society figure that I don't have in my collection. Wow. Um, yeah, so I was I was thinking about this when when the subject came up about Grails because similar to, to Chris, I I'm much more of a reader than a collector now. And between you know digital, you know you know either comic book streaming or, or digital purchases or trades and graphic novels, it's really it's become less and less important for me to get single issues but i did think of one that was a grail for me when i was younger when i was first starting to collect uh and it's kind of 
become obsolete now. Um, but uh, I've mentioned before, the first comic that I ever started reading or collecting was G.I. Joe in the late 80s. Um, and um, by by the time for you know you know in the nineties I was you know I got into the Batman books the X Men books and a lot but I stuck with GI Joe until just before they canceled the book uh, and it was one of the books that one of the titles when I really made an effort I wanted to have every issue that was one that I was gonna try and collect all of them um, and I was still a kid like I was buying these books with paper route money uh, so it was an effort to like go back and like hunt down some of these things but. At one point, when the book was canceled, it was, it, the last issue of G.I. Joe in the mid-90s was 155. I had well over 100 issues. I had probably close to 120. But one of them that I was missing right in the middle, and I don't know how I just kind of missed it off of the news rack because I was buying them mostly from an Eagle grocery store, um, was issue 113. This one came out in 1991. So at this point, you know, G.I. Joe has been out for almost 10 years. Um, and at one point it was super popular, but in the 90s that popularity is going is starting to wane. And I think part of that was – you know, you've got a, a, you know, science fiction fantasy, but based on, you know, real life war and soldiers and stuff in this comic. And in the 80s, we hadn't been at war. But in 1991, in, in the early 90s, we, you know, the U.S. gets involved in the, the Persian Gulf and the first Iraq war, Operation Desert Storm. And there became more of this impulse to make G.I. Joe a little bit more relevant and topical. So Larry Hama tells this story about the Joes getting involved in this quagmire of a, of a battle in these different Middle Eastern countries. He makes up a couple of them. And it's set across like seven seven different issues. But the other thing, aside from getting the Joes in that part of the world, he killed off a bunch of characters. Um, and I remember like just being blown away by some of you know my favorites who were getting like blown up or, or gunned down in some of these pages. So, for some reason, I miss out on issue 113, and I don't know why I just missed it, but then I could never find it. Uh, and part of me, I think, because it had a cover by Andy Kubert, and this is right when I think, right when he took over the X-Men book after Jim Lee left. Um, so it's got a great cover, um, but inside, I had no idea what happened on the inside other than it was, you know, uh, part of the story. Not until months later, I'm reading the letters column in an issue, you know, four or five issues later, they talk about the deaths in this one, in this particular issue, and how they killed off Battle Force 2000, but also this character of Sneak Peek. And Sneak Peek was one of my favorite G.I. Joes. And he's a really kind of weird, funny character because he's packaged with this giant telescope, like this <laughs> standing telescope thing. And if you read his file card, first of all, there's a weird connection because the character is named Owen King and his birthplace is listed as Bangor, Maine. Mm. Stephen King, famously from Bangor, Maine, has a son named Owen who loved G.I. Joe at this time. And there's believed to be this was an homage to Stephen King and his son um, because Stephen King may have – there's like this apocryphal story that he may have co-created one of the Cobra characters from the same year, uh, like 1987 or something. But anyway, the, the, the file card for Sneak Peek makes him sound like this awesome, badass, you know, like reconnaissance guy who can, you know, like he's, a, he's an elite army ranger who can go across enemy lines and get intelligence and everything. But the figure is dressed in gray and red. He looks like a football player. He's got like these, just these weird colors. And it's, it was one of those 
you know, first hints for G.I. Joe. It's like, okay, you're not really doing the army thing anymore. You, you, like, you, all your bad guys look like they could be super powers villains, you know? <laughs> They're like, just, you're, you're kind of losing it. But for whatever reason, I like this character. And he dies in this issue. And I didn't know, I never saw his death scene. I only read it in these letter columns that it was such a touching death scene. And he's got this connection with Dusty and he sacrifices himself and Dusty has to carry his body. And I'm like, oh man. And, like for for years, I was looking for this issue, and it was either unavailable; it just couldn't be found because at this point they weren't printing a whole lot, and this one probably get like famous because of the contents of the story and the cover. If I could find it, it was overpriced. I just didn't want to spend that much for a GI Joe comic that didn't wasn't that much. And eventually, I sort of just I fell out of love with GI Joe, and I was looking for other things. But every once in a while, I would kind of look back for it. And so it kind of became my grail for about a decade. It was something that I was always kind of in the back of my mind. I want to read that story. Well, in the, in the mid 2000s, I'm able to read, I read it on, as just like a, I found online a, a scan of it. Somebody had like a torrent or something. So I was able to read that story and it's a great story. Um, and, and then now I've actually, I've got, um, a, a trade paperback because IDW published the entire original run as classic G.I. Joe's. So I've got that story in a copy, but I never ended up getting the, the actual physical copy of that issue. And it just, once I read it, I was kind of like, okay, that's, that's all I needed. I just wanted to have that kind of experience. I had no desire to ever, ever get the issue. Um, and part of that was also because by that point, my, big collection of G.I. Joe had been decimated by a flood <laughs> that just kind of like yeah. wiped out a good chunk of my original G.I. Joe collection. Um, so I, then it was like, yeah, I didn't need to have the physical copy because I wasn't, you know, trying to, to create anything special. So that was kind of the closest thing I had to a grail for a long time. That was just for sentimental value. I wanted that issue and couldn't get it. Um, but eventually I've just been able to read it in other Another thing. So, I, I mean, now I, it might be a fifty-cent book. If it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's if it's not difficult to find at all. Um, I just don't have the same impulse or the same drive to get it. Um, that's the big one. I, like in terms of other other books, like comic-related grails. Um, there's the um, the Fireside Silver Surfer book, the Ultimate Cosmic Experience by Stanley and Jack Kirby. It's like the last time that those two guys collaborated on something um, was for the, the Fireside book. I there's they did a special, very limited edition hardcover printing of that that's like bound in leather that they they only printed like seven hundred copies of it. Um, I've seen it a few like copies of it at conventions, and it's always like six or seven or eight hundred dollars or something like that. Um, and it's just like, I, I, I would be happy just to get the fireside. I don't need to get, I don't need to spend that much money. But if I had that stupid, uh, Oliver Queen money, uh, yeah, I would do that just to get the, the special leather silver hardcover edition of that story. That's uh, a cool one, Ryan. I, I, uh, I never, um, uh, saw the leather bound one, but I've heard of that. I, I bought the, Fireside one mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and I was always confused me like the Fantastic Four is not in the story. I'm like, what's going on? And I thought I, 
but uh but it's a great book but um i never i've never seen that limited edition one that's a cool, cool I, yeah I, i've seen it only at conventions and it's always like yeah you, yeah yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm not walking out of here with this but i just i'd like to hold it or something um but yeah it, it's like a really cool like if you if you actually like see a picture of it it looks like you wouldn't even know what it is like it doesn't look like it's the, the same ultimate cosmic experience thing it's just completely different cover but uh yeah, it's it's pretty special. Um, yeah, like between that and uh, I, I've I always kind of held to this thing like where you know with Silver Surfer in the movies, you know he's got to be part of the Fantastic Four. You can't do a Silver Surfer movie without the Fantastic Four. But the thing is, Stan Lee wrote several Silver Surfer origin stories without the Fantastic Four because he also did the one with uh, with Mobius on art. Um, which is another like alternative uh, like origin story. So it's like, yeah, you you can actually. There there are several blueprints for how to do a Silver Surfer origin story without the Fantastic Four. Um, so maybe we'll, who who knows? Maybe we'll see something like that. Ron, do you think that GI Joe issue might have a low print run? Because I've 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 heard a lot lately of like like nineties Marvel comics like non-X-Men, non-Spider-Man comics, like having pretty low print runs around that time. So that might be one reason why you just couldn't find it. They just didn't print that many of them. I, I think by that, I mean, I, by that point, probably they it wasn't printing as much, although I was, I don't know, mo- a lot of the others, even after that, for a couple of years, I was able to find pretty pretty easily copies. It wasn't until like the last like the last three issues were really hard to find mm. um, before they canceled it. And I, I famously dropped the book two issues before it was canceled. Like I was just like, like I just got to the end. I was like, I hate this title. I hate this art. I'm done with this thing. And then like two months later, I'm just like, is that even still being printed in the comic? I was like, Nope. <laughs> and then when it all went all Ninja force and all that, that was, stuff. that was the, yeah, I, I stuck with that way too long. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's often the case with a lot of series that the last couple issues get low print runs because it's it's not popular anymore mm-hmm. you know like it's like a lot of the i i love um the warren magazines but like the final issues of all those magazines are really hard to find because yeah. by then nobody was carrying them anymore so it's like you know you can you can get the last issue of vampirella but it's going to cost you a lot because it's just, there aren't that many of them compared to the previous issues so I didn't. I didn't know that there was a leather-bound fireside edition of yeah. Silver. Why do you feel like Jack Kirby bound them all himself or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> it's made from his desk chair, you know. Yeah, just, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's like all my old cigar ashes, and I bound them myself. That's that's really cool. I did. I did not even know that that uh, that, that existed. So, all right, cool. Um, all right. Well, uh, for me, um, you know, obviously. So many of my dream items would be Aquaman related, you know, especially on the toy side. You know, Chris, you know how many great Aquaman toys there are. There's the Mego Super Queens doll and there's the Aquaman versus the Great White Shark playset, uh, which is impossible to find. And, and yep. kind of we were talking about, Paul, about um, bidding or, or at least looking into that Jim Aparo cover. And yeah. realizing that you were never really in it. You didn't know it, you didn't know it at the time. Right. Um, right after I got, uh, this was back in 2002, I got laid off from my job because the company was downsizing. At least that was the story. And um, at the same time, I was started picking up freelance work. And I was looking for a moment to become, to kind of officially go freelance. But I didn't have the guts to quit my job. Well, that decision was made for me. And so I, I remembered, I was like, well, guess, I guess I'm officially a freelance artist now. And I was like, okay. And for some reason, uh, I went on eBay, which is not a smart move. And somebody was selling a Mego 
Super Queens doll. Uh, I don't know if uh, I know, Chris, you're familiar with the Super Queens. I don't know, Paul, you, you any idea what that is? I am, not I am not familiar with it, so okay. I would love to hear the explanation. There was a line of dolls in the late 60s. Basically, was it done by the same company that did Captain, Ac- Captain Action, Chris? Yeah, it's ideal. Yeah, it's, it's ideal. It's, uh, okay, right. Yeah, yeah, They were done as companion dolls to Captain Action, but they were, quote-unquote, four girls. And it was Batgirl, Wonder Woman, Supergirl, right? Yep. Chris? And Mira, yep. Queen of Atlantis. And they were done as, like, Cupid dolls, but dressed in the you know comic accurate costumes and um amira even comes with i think she comes with does she come with aqua baby chris or am i or is that yeah, just on the he's box? shown on he's shown on the package she's on the package right yeah, she They're, comes with like a trident and a all trident, right, 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 flippers yeah. and yeah, yeah yeah they are i mean they are beautiful anyway i don't want to go too long about mirror Superweeds, but they're impossible to find and this somebody was selling it on ebay and this was like the second day I'd gone freelance, which means I had technically no money coming in anymore. But I saw it on eBay for $1,500 in the box with Murphy Anderson artwork. And I mean, it was gorgeous. And I was like, you know what? I never see this thing on eBay. I'm going to bid on it. And I hit bid. <laughs> remember the click. <laughs> and I remember the electrical impulse as it went from my finger to my brain. I was like, what are you doing? Like you just you just lost your job. And it's just like you are you insane? And for three for three days I was the highest bidder. And I was God. I was so terrified. I'm like, what have I done? I bought this thing. Now luckily it ended up going for like nine thousand dollars. So there was no chance I was ever gonna be the winner. But for three days I aged like a year because I was so, so. That, that, that that is one of the holy girls. But um I boiled down my my Aquaman. I'm gonna do one comic and one toy. I'm gonna go do the toy. I'm boiling it down to essentially my favorite Aquaman item, which is related to what Chris mentioned, that ideal Justice League set. This was a separate Aquaman set. He got his own set of little figurines and it's this beautiful box with this cellophane front window. And it comes with an Aquaman figure, a mirror figure, a fisherman figure, somebody called Mong, which is, I think they're just making them up and an aqua sub. Why Aquaman needs a sub. I don't know, but it is a, it looks like it's something out of 20,000 leagues under the sea. And uh, on the by it's got him on the box. Right? I mean, you have to remember this is during the filmation cartoon where Aquaman was kind of a marquee name. So it made sense to give him his own toy. This set is impossible to find in the box. And I found one on Leland's.com, the auction site. I think this, I don't think this auction is, um, oh yeah, this auction is over. It sold for $5,500. So, I mean, this is nothing, it is never going to be anything I'm ever going to own. It is, I mean, you can just never find it in the box. And it is the only, like, I want that Justice League one that Chris mentions because it's got the Secret Sanctuary, but the Aquaman one is so beautiful. And I have the Aquaman figurine because you can find the figurines easily, but in as a box set, you'll never find it. So that would be my, my, my Holy Grail toy purchase. I'm not big on buying toys much anymore, but I would love to own this Aquaman set. So that would be my grail in terms of a, a toy. For the comic, I went really obscure. So in 1948... The publisher Charles Bureau, who created uh, the 1940s Daredevil uh, character, he put out a two-issue series called Tops, and Tops was essentially crime comics, 
but done for adults. They were not meant for kids. And they were. Oh, I've got those. Yep. Stop it. They were like <laughs> they were like proto ECs, and they feature work by George Tuska, Dan Barry, Reed Crandall. The thing that makes them unique is they were printed at treasury size. Ooh. They were Ooh. printed at treasury. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. I never knew these existed at all until many years ago. Uh, I happened when I started up my treasurycomics.com site, my late lamented treasurycomics.com site. Mark Evanier, the legendary Mark Evanier, was nice enough to promote it. And he said, oh, Rob has virtually every treasury I, I've ever heard of on his site, except for tops. And I was like, what's tops? And I went and looked it up. And it's these two issues. And they are, again, they're treasury-sized comic books, but done for adults. And they are impossible to find. Um, they apparently, I see there's an article here where they fetch up to $6,000 on the collector's market. It only, it only ran two issues. It never went anywhere. And it just, it, you know, Charles Bureau just moved on into regular comics. The best thing about doing this episode, uh, aside from talking to you guys, of course, is by doing research on tops, I learned that it is being reprinted in a, Whoa. by Fanagraphics in a treasury sized hardcover. <laughs> I had no idea this was happening. I had not looked up tops in years because every time I saw, I think I saw one issue once on eBay and it was like $2,000. And I was like, well, I'm never, yeah, I'm never going to own it. But I happened to look it up just tonight and I see that in 2022, <laughs> Fantagraphics is publishing the two issues in a hardcover treasure, which I've already pre ordered on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I will That's pretty cool. Yeah, Robbie, breaking the formula. We're supposed to talk about something on a podcast, and then it happens. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm jumping ahead of the. That's right, jumping ahead of the game. Maybe it was just in the zeitgeist. Just I had it in my brain out there. But anyway, I would buy the originals if I could. If I could find these anywhere, I would buy them because they are. Aside from DC's with the new fun, uh, these are really the first Treasury comics ever printed. These two issues of Tops, and they just sound really cool. So those would be. That comic wise and toy wise, those would be my two holy grail items. And man, it would be it would be so amazing to have. If I had to pick one of the two, I think I'd go with the tops just because I'd probably be the only person that's ever gonna own them because I don't think anybody's ever heard of them outside of the fanographics people. But man, I I would kill it. If I had Bruce Wayne money, that's absolutely what I would do if uh, I would put that with that dough would buy those comics. Oh man, it'd be so cool to own them. You so, know, Rob, that's really cool. And Fantagraphics will probably do a really good job with that. I don't know if you know this, but um, they're printing all of uh, Prince Valiant in a treasury size yes, covers. Yes. And I started buying them when they first started coming out. They come out like once or twice a year um, for one of my sons who, who really liked the, the first volume or two. And um, it's up to like volume 22 or 23 <laughs> now. And um, they're really handsome additions and, uh, and they, they have nice, you know, front matter and, and the reproduction is really good and the page, quality, you know, it's just really nice. And uh, I started reading them <laughs> during the pandemic and I, you know, I read like six volumes of them and they're, they're really pretty good, but I think Fantagraphics will probably do, do a good job on that yeah they always do really really high-end items i didn't even i don't i don't even remember what i pre-ordered it for i didn't even care i was like all right i'm just buying it <laughs> i don't care <laughs> i need i need the only so, so th those would be those would be my holy grail so all right guys so uh we as i mentioned we put this question out to our patreon page over at uh, patreon.com podcast and we got some really cool responses from some of you out there what your holy grails were so we're going to go through those and, and read your responses because they said there's some really interesting answers. So, Chris, why don't you start? 
Uh, Jim Bow wrote in and told us uh, his grail, and it is Amazing Spider-Man number 129. He says, it was already too expensive for me to buy in the late 80s, and I have never gotten closer to owning it since as the price climbs. I'm a bit picky with the condition of the books I buy, too, so that does not help. And in case anybody doesn't know, that is the first appearance of The Punisher. Mm -hmm. Um, And I can actually say I have touched that comic and held it in my hands. Uh, My ex-brother-in-law once had every appearance of the Punisher, including that one. He had every Punisher, every Swamp Thing, and every Grew the Wanderer for some reason. <laughs> that would make an amazing sure. scene, wouldn't it? There you go. Why not, right? <laughs> On the next Suicide Squad. <laughs> exactly. James Gunn would look at that and go, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, you, know, you know, I mean, but no, he, he did at one time. And it was it was cool to, like, look at him and go, ooh, nice, yeah. But, you know, then him and my sister got divorced, and I lost access to those comics. So <laughs> Thanks, sis. Thanks for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I Not to make Jim feel bad, but I actually know somebody that owns that comic. Uh, yeah. Our, yeah, my pal Nate Jones, who's been on this, he's been on uh, Pod Dylan, and then he's friends with the network. Uh, he own, he's he loves the Punisher, and he, that is his Grail comic, and he owns a copy of it. So, yeah. well, I, I have to confess, um, the you know I'm not a huge Punisher fan, but I'm a very big Spider-Man fan, and I got that comic probably in like 1979 or 80 for five cents over cover. I was at a I was at a fair, and a kid was selling his old Spider-Mans and um, I had just started getting collecting at about 140 or so of Amazing Spider-Man and he was selling a whole bunch of them and I remember running to my mom and saying can I have, you know, can I have like $3 I can buy like 8 comic books and um, he was selling a whole bunch of them for 5 cents over cover and I have that very copy to this day. Wow. Oh, nice <laughs> deal, Paul. <laughs> oh man, that's amazing! Jeez, and you not... didn't have to sell that one to get world's best number one. That's impressive. No, no that one, that one's not getting sold. Yeah, that's not getting sold. Is that in the same glass case? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> that's amazing! Oh my god! All right, Ryan. Uh, we got one from Captain Entropy who said Amazing Spider-Man 101 and 102. This is the last two issues of the Six Arms Saga. See, thanks to Marvel Tales, I had read a reprint of the beginning of the saga, issue 100, so I had seen Spidey spontaneously grow four extra limbs. Let me tell you, that sort of thing will make an impression on an elementary schooler. But, between newsstand distribution and my comics runs being tied to Mom's grocery runs, I never read 101 and 102. That all changed recently when my LCS got a newly released reprint of 101 because it is also the first appearance of soon-to-be film star Morbius the Living Vampire. The book is great, and I thought I would finally get to read how Pete got rid of the extra arms, but it's a three-parter. No! So that's another future purchase. Uh, I actually just read those two issues like a week ago um, in the uh, the Morbius the Living Vampire Epic Collection Volume 1. They, uh, they're collecting all of his stuff from Vampire Tales and the, the Fear uh, comic book, but it starts off with those, those first two appearances in Spidey. So I just read those issues. Those are great. Those are really good. All right. So we got a uh, we got a uh, comment from Scott Rowland, and his selection is canceled comics cavalcade. Uh, from first reading about it in the comic reader in 1978 until today, I have dreamed of owning a copy. It symbolizes all the unpublished imaginary comics that I had ever thought of. I did eventually get to read it thanks to scans on the internet, but they were muddy and probably 10th generation photocopies, so not as nice as seeing the real thing. 
DC has published some of them, like Firestorm Issue 6 and the Firestorm Trade and the Ditko stories. As delighted as I am to have those, there's still something magical about the actual CCC. I saw that Denny O'Neill's copy was up for auction recently, Too Rich for My Blood. And the pictures made it look like even an original didn't have that great a reproduction quality. It was all photocopies after all. But the dream remains of recapturing that time and excitement that the DC explosion promised. Uh, Scott, that is a great suggestion. This was actually on my list for my holy grail. And then I saw your email came in and I was like, well, I'll just let, let Scott have it. For those people who don't know, Canceled Comics Cavalcade is the two-issue series, I put that in air quotes, that DC published of all their unreleased material when the DC implosion happened and they had to publish it all to retain the copyright of them on the material. And so they had, I think it was, is it Alan Kupperberg who did the covers, Chris, do you happen to, or was it, or, or um, like, was it Alan Kupperberg and Al Milgram did the yeah, other, Al Milgram uh, did one and Alex Saviak did one. Alex Saviak, yeah, there you go. It was Al Milgram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you so, go. Yeah. And they got these little kind of fun covers of like, they have all these characters getting kicked out of the DC offices and stuff like that. And there's another one of them all dead. And then it was just black and white reprints of all these books. And these things are like 500 pages. I mean, they're like phone books. And I had never heard of them until I started reading the Overstreet Price Guides. And then there was a description of them. And I was like, wow, that sounds cool. And it was like, you know, 35 copies known. I was like, oh, my God, there's only 35. I know that like Paul Kupperberg has, has a cop, has a, has a set. Again, I got to find out where he lives. I know he just recently moved. Um, <laughs> uh, connection, but uh, but I, I I would love to own those myself. So Scott, I thought that was a great suggestion. I that would be amazing to own a piece of comics history like that to own canceled comics cavalcade. Yeah, that that was on my list too, Rob. And I saw that. And I, but uh, that's that's a really cool cool thing. Uh, Vixen number one, like Vixen was going to get her own series, right? And, like Firestorm number six and like Steel number five, like Steel all, number all these yeah, issues yeah. that never actually saw the light yep. of day. Yeah. Yeah. Green Very team cool. number two and three yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the world was the, the world was struck down not having get green team number two and three. <laughs> <laughs> so from our friend Martin Gray, he says, Great idea for a show. I can't do a British accent, but I'd love to have the collection of the original Monster Society of Evil story from the Golden Age, pitting the Marvel family against their most insidious foes over twenty five episodes. While the planned DC edition a couple years back never emerged due to, I believe, worries about unpleasant contemporary attitudes and or character depictions, there was a limited collection edition in 1989. They go for a few hundred quid each. Maybe I should use just some of the refunded holiday money. So uh, that's a great one. And the reason I asked to do this one is um, – um, Martin, I'll, I'll let you know, you can actually own this. I own not, not this limited edition, but apparently this story has fallen into the public domain. And there is a group, uh, you know, a guy, I think, who, who has a, you know, print to order business and he'll print certain public domain stories. And, um, it's called Guandana Land Comics. I don't know if any of you guys have, have heard of it. They do print to, print on demand through through Amazon, and I have about a dozen of them. And one of them I got is the because I had never read it either, and I was curious when the DC canceled that book. I'm like, huh? And I, and I saw that he had one, so I I got it. And uh, you know, the content is kind of what you would expect, right? It's during World War II. The, you know, the Japanese characters are caricatures, right? And Captain Marvel, if, if you don't know, and I've never been a huge Captain Marvel fan. I've only limited knowledge of him, but he has a, a black friend named Steamboat who, who, who's drawn, you know, not in a flattering way. And, and, 
and everything. But so, but from a historical perspective, it was it was interesting. It was like the first continued story. They called it a serial, and so that was really interesting to see from a uh, thing. So, Martin, you can get it from this guy. I don't know if they'll send it to uh, to the UK, but um, but there is a, a way to get. It. Maybe you can read it online on the Grand Comics database or something. How can that possibly be in, out of copyright? I mean, it's well, DC own uh, those characters. Uh, I think, yeah, DC owns the characters, but you know, and this is what they keep worried about. You know, the 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 well, uh, my son who just finished law school will probably be able to tell you better. But um, <laughs> they, but but this whole idea of public domain, you know, DC and, and Disney worried about not so much the characters, but the stories themselves and anybody being able to print them. So they fought for many years not to have anybody else be able to print, you know, Detective Comics 27 or whatever. But if you didn't file certain copyright notices, um, apparently it goes out of, uh, goes into public domain and there's, you know, smarter people than me figuring this out. The other ones I got from this company were like a bunch of Charlton's. Like, uh, I got a book that's all the Sarge Steel. Adventures, which was pretty cool, um, you know, because you know the Charlton books are are hard to collect, hard to buy because they they they're very poor quality print reproductions, right? And and these books, it's interesting because they're scans of actual comics. They're not like you know, so the quality varies. But it's an interesting thing as a reader. I find it very interesting. You know, I read, um, you know, so they had he had a collection. It was all these books mentioned in Seduction of the Innocent uh, back in the in the fifties. And a lot of those books are in public domain, so we collect them all together. You know, that kind of stuff is is interesting to me. I, I'm interested in the history of comics too. So anyway, Martin, if you want to hit me up, we can talk about this. But I do actually, I'm looking at a copy of it right now that you can get for for not that much. Wow! I remember when that company produced that book in '89, that version mm-hmm. of it, because um, I was I had a subscription to Comic Buyer's Guide for many many mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. and it was advertised in there, and I almost bit on that mm-hmm. because that. But that was before. I mean, that, I think it was right before. That might have been Marvel may have started the Masterworks line, but it was before DC started the Archive line. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, it was tempting, but I, I didn't and. You know, then I kind of was like, oh man, I kind of wish I'd done that because I think that that book goes for a like like Martin says a ton of money. But yeah. now that I know that this exists, and hey, maybe I'll just go that route. So. Yeah, they, they had a couple different options. I just looked on Amazon today, and uh, like he'll do one that's all in color, but one a lot cheaper in black and white. Mm. Um, and you know, it's just basically it's print to order. Um, so it's pretty it's pretty cool. Nice. That's yeah, I mean, really it, historically, it was interesting to read. Like I said, you, that's know, you got to be ready for it. Yeah. I know I've seen pictures of the the, the slipcase edition, and it's, it's like it comes in like a like like you said like a slipcase. It's like a hardcover, and it comes in like a little box or something like that, from what I remember. And it has like a little sim, like a Monster Society of Evil logo embossed on the slipcase or something. Like it's a really handsome thing, uh, and they are quite expensive. But I had no idea you could just do it print on demand. That's that's amazing. That's he's, so cool. he's got hundred. And I'm making this a commercial for it because I I don't I like I said I have like <laughs> a dozen of them, but he's got like hundreds of different collections of of, oh. of these um public domain books yeah very cool all right man well good geez good 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 suggestion martin and thank you paul for the information that's uh, that's really cool so uh we got a comment from mike dynasty he says my dream books are all the ones i had as a kid and only have half memories of most of them come from the best of dc blue ribbon digests like number 35 the year's best compilation that was my favorite but there are some half-remembered stories that I'm not even sure existed, or if I am just smashing multiple memories together. Like Luthor creating artificial kryptonite from existing five-colored kryptonite pieces. 
I always enjoy those ones because it creates the thrill of the hunt and trying to find if they are real or not. I mean, considering how many Superman stories there were, Mike, I'm sure there was one where Lex Luthor created artificial kryptonite from existing five color kryptonite pieces. I mean, just they had to have gotten to that at some point. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know how. I mean, I guess you could use Mike Amazing, Mike's Amazing World to find some of these things. Uh, that's why that's how like, I've been doing the Mountain Comic Show is going through all that. So uh, that's so that's not so much that's not so much a a money thing as it is a time thing just finding the time to sit and, and do all that. So interesting uh, kind of spinning of the dial there. Steve Givens wrote, and he says, am I being a spoil sport? If I say any comics, I feel the need to own. I already do. Yes, Steve, you are. I mean, I would, I'd like to have a mint condition copy of action. Number one to sell an auction, but I have been fortunate enough to obtain, obtain any comics that have personal value to me. I will say I one time saw action comics. Number one in real life. I saw it at the San Diego comic-con. Uh, in like 1998, it was in a glass case. And I was with my buddy, Chris Wichadal, whose favorite character is Superman. I went to him and I went to art school together. And I remember we just both spied it at the same time. And we, we were doing like that three men in a comic book thing with the glass case. We were just like, <gasps> cause I mean, it's like, I've literally never been in the same <laughs> as action comics number one. And there it was. So that was a cool. So yeah, yes, the, I mean, yeah, if you, for, I don't know how much does anybody know how much action number one goes for at this point? Is it like a million at this point? Yeah, it's uh, it's a couple three four million for a high grade one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it went over. Yeah, it's 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 well into the millions now. Is yeah. it the number one most? Is it the still the number one? Yeah. comic of all time. Yeah, the Detective Twenty Seven, like a nine point four, just sold for like three million or something like that. <laughs> oh but, my god! Yeah, yeah. Nicholas well, I, you know, I saw um, before you guys. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but down in Baltimore, um, one of my fa- my favorite comic show is the Baltimore Comic Con, and uh, and um, Steve Jeppy, the guy who um, owns Diamond uh, Comics Distributors, started up a um, pop culture and comics memorabilia museum right next to the convention centers, right next to the ballpark in Baltimore. And um, unfortunately, it's now closed, but about 10 or 12 years ago, and he had a lot of his personal collection and things in there. And he had in one case, you know, uh, an Action 1, a Detective 27, uh, Wonder Woman number 1, you know, All-Star Comics, like all these ones that, you know, like in one big case in the middle of the room. And uh, that was a pretty amazing sight to see. Um, I think he got in financial difficulties and ended up selling a lot of those. But because uh, oh. then when I went back there a few years later, the, only a couple of them were still there. Uh, it seems like. But uh, that's the only time I got that close to those books. Uh, we got a comment from Mike Cole who said, I thought about this and couldn't think of a single book. I like having old issues, but I'm honestly fine with reading reprints. Kind of the same as me. Uh, he also said, for me, the dream item is original artwork. It is too expensive for me, and I do not own any. I find it fascinating to see the original lines, production notes, whiteout, and pasting. I've never really been close to owning any. A few years back, I saw Jason Fabok at a convention. He was selling his penciled covers to Justice League during the Dark Side War. They were amazing, but cost way too much. I had to be content with buying a print. My dream art would be from Alex Ross. I have seen his original work at art shows. I have his posters and even some lithographs, but to have one of his paintings of a classic DC hero would be amazing. Finally, an original page or sketch from Jack Kirby would be a dream come true. Yeah, I, again, I'm, I'm sort of there too. Like where I'm at, like I think more 
more than collecting individual issues. I, I think like if I go to conventions, that's something that I'd be, I'd be on the lookout if I had, if I had that much money, which I don't, but like, because I've thought of like a few other like holy grails for original art pages that I would love. Um, one would be like a Neil Adams page from Avengers issue 93, uh, specifically one of the pages with Ant-Man where he's going inside of the vision because Hank Pym as Ant-Man is one of my favorite Marvel heroes and that's probably the coolest Ant-Man has ever been in any context <laughs> is when Neil Adams draws him and he's he's going through the vision's insides as if it's like a, a death trap. Other than that, obviously my, my well, well-known love for Gene Colan, so original like Gene Colan pages from Tomb of Dracula or anything like if I could get a Tomb of Dracula issue 18 where we have Dracula and the werewolf by night in the same issue. That would be cool. Um, or like a werewolf by night page by Mike Plug, you know, and things like that. That would be really, really cool if I was looking for original art, but yeah. Yeah. I'd like to make a confession here. Uh, I don't think I've ever mentioned this on Nightcast. I once owned a piece of Norm Brayfogle Batman art. And oh, very cool. And I sold it like an idiot. Um, <laughs> I bought it when I was in high school. It was from uh, Detective 614. It was a cool page of Batman. Like uh, it was a flashback to young Bruce Wayne, but it was the, the picture was basically framed inside of Batman's cape, the whole page. And uh, I held on to it for years and never had any place to display it because I was in high school and that I was in college and I didn't know about like getting something framed and I was stupid apparently. Uh, so I decided, well, I'm just going to sell it because I needed the money and I ended up selling it. Uh, I forgot even where I sold. I can't, I can't remember how I sold it, but I know I sold it. And now I don't know what his artwork goes for, but I'm sure it goes for quite a bit of money because unfortunately there's not any new Norm Bray Fogel Batman art being produced because he passed on. Uh, so yeah, I really, really, really regret that. <laughs> oh man, Jeez. we're gonna have an abrupt conversation the next time we record Nightcast. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have secrets from your partner there. <laughs> I have. I've said on other shows that the artwork wise, yeah. If I had the Bruce Wayne money, I would buy the Alex Ross page of Aquaman from the JLA Liberty and Justice Treasury where it's just that full-page shot of him on the whale, stopping the whalers. It is my single favorite image of Aquaman ever, mm-hmm. ever. Uh, even though I love Jim Aparo, uh, that image is my yeah. single favorite. And if I had, I don't know what those Alex Ross pages go for, probably tens of thousands of dollars at this point. Yeah, easy, easy. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I would buy that. I would I would outbid, I would I would make that offer. To, I would Whoever owns it, I would make them an offer they couldn't refuse. Uh, we got one for from uh, Damian Weiger who wrote in, uh, I've always been the kind of person who is perfectly satisfied with a reprint, so there aren't any particular comics I crave, but what I want is more original art. See, he's there too. I have been lucky enough to collect a few pieces, but I always want more. If you had asked me initially, I would have said a Wal- Walter Simonson or a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. cover but i went to a dc universe exhibition a couple of years ago and what captivated me most were the superman covers by kurt swan george klein and ira schnapp they were not only beautiful they were also fascinating artifacts with the various editorial notes and hand paste ups i could look at them for hours and would happily have any cover by that team in my collection Oh, that's really cool. And as you know, I'm a big Kurt Swan fan. And so I appreciate that, Damien. That's, that's sweet. I, I think there's something to be said for a lot of the artists we've mentioned or the more, I mean, 
modern, I mean, well, I mean, even though, you know, Ryan brought up Gene Colan and, uh, you know, certainly classic artists, but there's something about like going to the Silver Age and back that just the, the production processes of the day, it would be interesting just to see, you know, I've seen that and it's, it's, it's just amazing that they literally pasted the Superman logo on the artwork like every time. And uh, it's, it, it's, it's just, uh, it, of course, Rob and I work in graphic design. So, you know, to see how it was done back then. And of course we had to do a little bit of that too, but the way, yeah, yeah. How, how it's changed is just amazing. But yeah, that would be really cool. I mean, those, those covers are um, you know, just beautiful. Uh, the line work on them is just, just gorgeous. His mentioning of Irish Snap would make me think how cool it would be to own a paste-up of, like, an ad that he put together. Because you oh. would see all the paste-ups and all the lettering. Like, that would just be – right, as a graf- as graphic designers, that would be cool to see of just how you had to do that by hand and stuff. That guy was amazing. That Irish yes, Snap, he so. was. Oh. Yeah, that, I, those, hey, I'm sure none of those exist anymore, unfortunately. Hey, hey Chris, have you ever seen – there's a novel I read about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago that the premise of the article was – three pages of Kurt Swan artwork were stolen. Did you ever read that? I've heard of it, but I don't think I ever read it. I'm yeah, I read to it. Think uh, I, can't remember, I can't remember what the name of it. I, I won't spoil the ending because it was a mystery, right? But the, that was like the whole, it was like a mystery story, right? And uh, I know I read it on, I'll, I'll, I'll find it. I'll send you a link because it's a, um, it, it was fun. It was really fun. I know I read it. I, I, I know I have my record somewhere because I read it on a Kindle, but uh, it was, it was really cool. Cool. Yeah, I'd like to read that. That'd be cool. I remember hearing something about it, but I don't think I've ever read it. <laughs> so, uh, so all right. So the last uh, comment we got is from Dave Branning, and he says, Greetings, Fire and Water podcasters. My dream book is unquestionably showcase number four from 1956. As a kid in the 70s, The Flash was my favorite superhero, and I wanted this book because it was his first appearance in Origin Story, so I had to have it. I think the first time I learned about showcase number four might have been in Maurice Horn's Encyclopedia of Comics, which I got for Christmas or birthday one year and spent many hours poring over. Either that or maybe an editor's footnote in a flash issue referred to it. I remember those double-page mile-high comics ads sometime around 1980 where they would list old back issues with prices and seeing showcase number four with some crazy price listed, like many hundreds of dollars or more. I thought, are they nuts who would pay that much for a comic book? But the problem is this just wasn't any comic book. It was a super important comic book. Because it was the start of the Silver Age of comics, the Julius Schwartz revivals of the Golden Age heroes, rebirth of superheroes in comics, and all that. If my favorite hero had been Green Lantern or the Atom or Aquaman, I probably would have been able to afford a copy of the first appearances at some point. But no, it had to be The Flash. No matter how much money I made as an adult, showcase number four was just never affordable. The price climbed faster than my income at every turn, and it's just as out of reach for me today as it was in 1980. Let's see. I can have showcase number four for or a house. Hmm. No, I'm thinking. Give me a minute. I came close to owning it once, though, back in 2003. My fiance and I were in Australia for a 10-day trip. As we were walking the streets of Brisbane, lo and behold, there was a comic shop. They had a big poster of Neil Adams' famous cover, Superman 233, Kryptonite Nevermore, in the window. How could we not go in? So we're looking around in the store, and, of course, I headed over to the glass case by the checkout where the good stuff is. I'm right there at the counter copies of showcase number four and number eight the first and second appearances of the flash the clerk let me hold them in my hands in my trembling hands as they were in decent shape not great but not terrible the prices i think he was going to let me take both books for something under ten thousand bucks australian which was an even better price in u.s dollars or i think it could have had showcase number four for maybe three or four thousand i don't remember the whole thing was a fever dream 
I do know that the price was very reasonable at the time. And here's where it gets weird. My fiance is saying to me, you might never get another chance to own these. Are you sure in order to put them back down? God, I love that woman. But she's not helping. This is insane. Am I really going to spend an unplanned three or $4,000 on a comic book right here on a Tuesday afternoon in Australia? I couldn't do it. I handed the books back to the owner, thanked him for letting me admire them up close. I knew that the value of these books would only go up over time. But I also realized that in that moment that owning a book like that was a huge responsibility, even more than it was a joy. What would I really do with a $4,000 comic book? Bag it and board it and put it in a long box like all my other comics? What would be the point of that for a comic that has been reprinted many times? And if there was a flood or fire or any mistreatment of the book, that money would just vanish. Poof! We're about to get married, and the idea of having that much money locked away in a little bag and boarded pamphlet just suddenly seemed very silly and nerve-wracking. I also knew that I would never be able to sell it, so whatever increase in value the book had would be irrelevant. I'd be stuck with this book forever, always worried about damaging it. You'd never be able to get rid of it. We bought a poster of the Superman Kryptonite Nevermore cover in that shop, and it still hangs framed in the hallway of our house. My kids see it every day, and they come down the stairs. It always makes me think about showcase number four and the day that my wife really wanted me to have it, and I turned it down. And so I am fine with that. Whoa. <laughs> that was a fun story. You really good. Yeah. Oh, man. When that email came in, that took me on a roller coaster of emotions. I was just like, <laughs> oh, wow. Yes, Mrs. Branning, very, very good woman, David. You did a great job there. I could see him saying that, yeah, I mean, you can't picture yourself ever selling world's, world's best number one, right? No, I won't. No, it I almost won't. doesn't matter what it's worth because you're never going to sell it. So what's the No, difference? I mean – I'll be honest. I do have insurance on on a few, you know, on, on the, for the whole bit of bunch of things. But but that's just for like a fire or a flood, right? I mean, right I'm not right, going right. to sell it. Oh man, it's a, that's amazing. And so uh, yeah, I don't. I I I would never want to be met with that temptation. But he got a great story out of it. And in a weird way, that's almost just as good. It's like okay, yeah, I could have owned it, but nah, it's all right. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, imagine flying back from Australia though with showcase number four. Like, we're going to hand it over to the to the airline guys. Like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> so that's just an amazing story. So uh, everybody, everybody who wrote into Patreon and wrote us emails, thank you for your stories. This was really cool getting a chance to hear about everybody's holy grails out there. Of course, uh, there are other people out here who, who didn't uh, maybe see the Patreon post. And so if you have a holy grail, let us know what that might be, whether it's a comic, a toy, or some sort of related. You can go to our website firewaterpodcast.com and leave a comment. We want to know what your holy grails might be. So guys, I guess we're going to wrap it up here. Is there anything else we want to say before we, we finish up our holy grails episode? No, no, thanks for, thanks for having me. I feel honored. So I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. This is great stories. It was great having you, Paul. And that's it. The congratulations on getting one of your key books. That's a, that's an exciting moment for any young boy. Yeah, well, I'll come over and drill on it or add it or not on it, add it. That's it. Well, it's, it's been slabbed at least, so right, you could just wipe it off. Yeah, just, right, right, right. There you go. Absolutely. So, and all of you, all of you contributing to our Patreon, we thank you very, very much. Um, when when the money is not going towards bail or other kind of things, then it, we're, we're saving it up to buy one of those million dollar comics that we're right. Yeah, you want to help us get these holy grails? Please go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. It's, Really going to help can, you get that. We thing. can all go in just like the Simpsons episode Rob referenced. We can all go in and buy a comic and then fight over it, just like oh, yeah. in the treehouse, just like uh, <laughs> Millhouse and Martin and Bart, right? Yeah, yeah, that'll that'll work out just great. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, thanks, uh, thanks everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this episode of FW Presents. Again, give your suggestions over on the website, and uh, you know, keep dreaming, everybody. Maybe someday you will get your holy grail. 
Radioactive Man number 72! It's Imaginary Tale where Radioactive Man marries Larva Girl. Wow, number nine. That's before Fall Out Boy became his ward. Tell you what, I'll show you something very special if you promise to put your grubby little hand behind your back and keep in there. Behold! Wow, Radioactive Man number one. No, that. I bet it's worth a million bucks. It is, my lad. But I'll let you have it for a hundred because you remind me of me. Oh, all I got is 30. Then you cannot have it. But I must. Until this moment, I never knew why God put me on this earth, but now I know to buy that comic book.